from the very beginning, we have wandered. We have searched the world for meaning and a higher purpose. He is the answer. He is the way. He is the truth. And he is the life. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name. Good morning, church. Good morning, and happy Easter. Man, that worship just gets me fired up today, I tell you. Praise be to God. Jesus is alive, and we have come to worship. We've come to celebrate him, and I am so grateful and so thankful to be able to worship Jesus with you this morning. You guys look great, by the way. Praise God, you know? So, hey, you know, our world, right? We live in this world, and it, it tries to always sell us cheap imitations or everything, right? And it does that with Easter. Easter in our culture has become about things like this. It's become about things like bunnies, right? I mean, I don't know if you know that, right? You know, you text somebody and you say, happy Easter, and the emoji it gives you is a bunny. You're like, really? You know, like, that's Easter, right? It's not a cross. It's not an empty tomb. No, it's a bunny, right? That's what our culture says, or, or it's this culture that says, hey, it's about eggs, right? And we hunt eggs, we dye eggs, and it's fine, and it's fun until you get a cheese egg. That's just gross. So I don't know where that comes from, but that's what culture has. Uh, culture, it's about Easter baskets, which are great, which are fine. I love this meme, right? When your mom says you're too old for an Easter basket. You know? <laughs> At some point, you're kind of like, oh, man, what happened? You know, now all of a sudden, I'm the adult, right? Where, you know, but all these things happen. You know, and, and also our culture, uh, Easter's about chocolate, right? It's all about chocolate. Uh, check out this one-pound chocolate bunny, right? Some kid's going to get that and eat the whole thing today, so I'm sorry for those parents, but you know, that's what Easter is, but this one's the craziest of all, okay? This is Jones Soda, so if you're looking for a pairing for your Easter dinner, uh, how about ham soda? I mean, it's like gross, or the second one, peep soda. I mean, like, what is that? I don't know, but that's what our culture says Easter is, but here in Rolling Hills, we're saying, no, Easter's about Jesus. It's about Jesus. He is the one who came alive. He is the one who conquered death. He is the one who made a way for us. It's Jesus, and we've come here to worship and celebrate him. And so I'm glad you're here today. But it begs the question this, is, is what kind of Jesus do you worship? You know, is it the Jesus of Good Friday? Is it the Jesus who's still on the cross for you, or Jesus who's in the grave? Or is it the Jesus of Easter, the Jesus who is alive? Because if you go back 2,000 years, the disciples, man, on Good Friday, they were perplexed, right? I mean, they had followed Jesus. They had watched him do miracles. They had heard his teaching, and they were convinced he's the Messiah. Uh, last Sunday, Palm Sunday, they came in, and the triumphal entry, and people saying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, and they're thinking, yes. And then they watched as he was nailed to a cross. And they watched as the Romans stabbed him with a spear and blood and water came out and they saw him put in the grave and they were scared and they were afraid and they ran and they scattered. What do you do with a dead Jesus? <laughs> Several years ago, I went on a mission trip to Rio de Janeiro and, and I don't know if you've ever been to Rio, but, but in Rio, we were working in the flavelas, some of the poorest areas I've ever seen, but, but there is one of the seven wonders of the new world and it's this, the Christ the Redeemer statue. 
Okay, I mean, this is a massive statue. I mean, it is Christ the Redeemer. He sits a mile and a half above sea level over Rio. Uh, 90 feet tall is this statue, okay? Wingtip to fingertip, right? It is 63 feet. Jesus' head is nine feet high. And so if you're a tourist and you go to Rio, you have to go see Christ the Redeemer statue. And I remember we went up there, we would go up the steps and everything. But I started looking at the statue. And when you get close and you start to look, all of a sudden you realize that his eyes are like closed. You know, they're hollow. It's almost like he's not seeing what's going on. It's like he's looking out over Rio and not seeing the eight million people that are there. If you look closely, you can see the sculptor put a heart, but it's a heart of stone. <laughs> it's not a heart that's alive. It's not a heart that is beating. It's a heart of stone. It's cold and it's dead. And yet, I think this is what many people think of Jesus. He's large. He's out there. He's looming, but he really doesn't care. He really doesn't want to get involved. He's not going to get involved in your life or in your marriage or in your home. He's just kind of out there. And what do you do with a dead Jesus? What did the disciples do? They were scared, perplexed. What about you? If you have a dead Jesus in your life, I'll just give you some hints on how you probably feel. You probably feel run down. Life has just made you exhausted. You're worn out. You probably feel unfulfilled. You're looking for purpose, looking for meaning. Like, does my life really matter? No, you probably feel trapped. Trapped in relationships or trapped in debt. You, you know, run down, unfulfilled, trapped. You know what that is? It's a rut. You know what a rut is? A rut is a grave with both ends kicked out. See, what you believe about Jesus is the most important thing about you. If you believe Jesus is dead, you believe he's still on the cross, you believe he's in the tomb, then boy, you're gonna live that kind of life. You're gonna be looking for fulfillment. You're gonna be looking for meaning. You're looking for hope because your Jesus is dead. But I'm here to tell you this. Jesus is not dead. Jesus is alive. And that's why we've come to celebrate because it's Easter Sunday and this same Jesus that was on the cross is the same Jesus who conquered death and made alive. And we've come to celebrate him today. Jesus is alive. Praise God. If you have a Bible, open with me to John chapter 20. John chapter 20. Told you I'm fired up today, guys. This is exciting. <laughs> this is Easter, baby. All right, let's go. All right, John chapter 20. If you don't have a Bible, we got some Bibles for you. They're in the back. Love to give you one. They're free. Just put your name in it. It's yours. Take it. Free gift. But the Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the first four books of the New Testament all talk about Jesus. So if you're kind of checking out Christianity, hey, I'm glad you're here today. Just get a Bible and start to read. You know, read Matthew and Mark and Luke and John. They're all eyewitness accounts. They're all people who were there. They have stories like, hey, this is what happened. This is what Jesus did. And then we're going to look in the gospel of John. And John was one of Jesus' disciples. And we're going to be in John chapter 20. We can put the words on the screen. You can have a mobile device. You can access the scriptures. But look what happened that Easter Sunday morning 2,000 years ago. In chapter 20, verse 1, it says, early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Okay, so Jesus is crucified on Friday, nailed to the cross, right? The sword spear in his side, blood comes down. He's taken, he's put in the tomb. On Saturday, nobody can go to the tomb because it's Shabbat. It's the Sabbath. You don't go around dead people on the Sabbath. So early on the first day of the week, Easter Sunday morning, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb. Mary Magdalene, okay, we know from the other gospels, she was a part of a, a group of women who went to the tomb 
And a lot of times we think about the disciples, and they're always men, right? There's 12 men. But in Luke chapter 8, it says there was a group of women who also followed Jesus. And Mary Magdalene was one of them. You know, Jesus did more for women's rights than any person in history. I mean, back then, women were second-class citizens. Women had no rights. And Jesus comes along and says, no, no, you matter to God. I love the New Testament. It says this, there is neither slave nor free, Jew nor Greek, male nor female. We are all one in Christ Jesus. We are all one in Christ Jesus. And so here's Mary Magdalene. We know that, that Jesus healed her. We don't know whether she was suffering emotionally or physically, but man, we're all struggling with something. And, and Jesus healed her and restored her, and she followed Jesus. She was faithful. And so she comes with this group of women. They go to the tomb, and they saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. He's still rolling stones, isn't he? <laughs> He's still rolling stones. You know, the Romans put this huge stone in front of the tomb, and then they stamped it with the Roman seal. Which means if you move this stone, you die. Okay, that's what it means, literally. And the Romans were really good at killing people, right? You can go back and study history. And then they put all these Roman soldiers there. But when she comes to the tomb, <laughs> Jesus has already kind of moved it out of the way. And she looks is like, whoa, the stone's gone. And so she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved. That's John. That's John. This is an eyewitness account, you guys. This isn't, hey, I heard it from so-and-so and their third cousin. And No, this, I was there. He's like, I, I was there. She came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they've put him. So Peter and the other disciples started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. You know, guys, we're competitive, aren't we? You know, and here's John, like, Hey, just want to remind you, I outran you, Peter. You know, I'm just going <laughs> to drop that in here. You know, everybody knows for thousands of years that I outran you to the tomb, right? <laughs> so he reached the tomb first. He bit over and he looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along, finally, you know, behind him and went straight to the tomb. And he saw the strips of linen lying there as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen, Finally, the other disciple, that's John, who reached the tomb first, also went inside. He saw and believed. This was his moment, man. John goes, this was the moment for me. See, there comes a moment for all of us as God draws us to himself and invites us into a relationship. Do you believe? And John goes, that was the moment. I knew it. I knew it. And they still didn't understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. They still didn't understand the whole... Old Testament didn't really all make sense that, hey, there's a Messiah, it's spiritual, living, he is alive. But then the disciples went back to where they were staying. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. Okay, so Mary goes to the tomb, stones rolled away. She goes back into the city because you can't have a cemetery inside the city gates. She gets Peter and John. They outrun, they go to the tomb. Then they start heading back and Mary comes back to the tomb. And she starts to cry and as she wept, she bent over to look in the tomb and she saw two angels in white were seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. And they asked her, woman, why are you crying? <laughs> kind of an odd question for a cemetery, right? But I think they knew something, right? <laughs> they've taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they've put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she didn't realize that it was Jesus. Why not? Well, one, it's early in the morning, right? Two, she's crying. Three, he's in a resurrected body. And he asked her, woman, why are you crying? 
Who is it you're looking for? Who are you looking for today? Thinking he was the gardener. Now, guys, think about this for a moment. She thought he was the gardener. You remember when God created the earth and God created Adam and Eve and God took them and breathed life into them and he placed them where? In a garden, right? The Garden of Eden. And they were in right relationship with God. They were in right relationship with one another. They had a great marriage. They had great relationship. They named all the animals. It was perfect. Genesis 1 and 2, but then what happens in Genesis 3? They sinned. They said, God, we don't want to do it your way. We want to do it our way. We're going to do it on our own. And they rebelled against God, and sin and death and decay entered in. But she looked around and looked at Jesus and thought he was the gardener. Why? Because he came to make it right. He came to restore that relationship with God. He came to restore our relationships with one another, thinking he was the gardener. She said, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you've put him and I will get him. And Jesus said to her, Mary. He called her by name, Mary. And she turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. And Jesus said, do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them I am ascending to my Father and, look at this, your Father. <laughs> How awesome is that? My Father and your Father. You can have a relationship with God. You can call God Father to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news. I have seen the Lord! Exclamation point. The first person who gets to tell the good news is a woman. <laughs> she gets to go and she tells his disciples, hey guys, listen, I've seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. Guys, Easter changes everything. Changes everything. Listen, Jesus being alive, if you want to take some notes today, there's a little note packet right there in your worship guide. Here's some things to write down. Jesus being alive means our sins are not final. Our sins are not final. 1 Corinthians 15, says this, for as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. You see, Adam sinned, and those sins were passed down, right? It's original sin. Uh, nobody has to teach us how to sin, right? I mean, we can probably think in our minds, we're like, oh yeah, I did that already, even today, you know, or yesterday, I, I thought this, or I th yeah, I, we know how to sin. The fact is we've all sinned, all of us. We've all sinned. A lot of times we compare ourselves to other people, like, well, hey, I'm not that bad, right? But we've all sinned. We've all made mistakes. We know that. We know that. And we can't fix ourselves. We're Americans. We want to try. We want to do it ourselves. And so we try. We go, man, if my good can outweigh my bad, maybe God will accept me. But here's the deal. We're never going to be good enough. You will never. The standard is perfection. And we're never going to be good enough. We can't fix ourselves. It's like trying to jump over the Grand Canyon. I don't care if you can jump eight feet. I don't care if you go to Lifetime Fitness and work out all the time. You know, I don't care if you get cool leggings, you know, and you can jump 12 feet, right, you know, or 15 feet. You're not going to make it, right? You can't fix ourselves. <laughs> so Jesus, <laughs> but Jesus paid the price for us. Guys, that's such good news today. It's called substitutionary atonement. Jesus took our place. It should have been us on the cross. The wages of sin is death. That's eternal separation from God. But Jesus stepped in. He said, I'll pay the price for you. 
I'll pay the price for you. Our sins are not final. He died for our past sins, our present sins, and our future sins. Hey, praise be to God. Jesus being alive means this. It means that our life matters. God, your life matters. Look at this verse, 1 John 3, 16. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. God loves you. He loves you so much that he sent his one and only son. There's a lady who came up to me after church last week, and she said, you know, Pastor Jeff, you, you tell us every week that God loves us. And she said, I'm starting to believe it. She said, I didn't grow up like that. I, I, I grew up that God was always mad at me. He was always condemning me. And I'm starting to believe that there is a God of love. Why? Because what you believe about God is the most important thing about you. You think God's condemning you all the time? You're gonna live with shame and guilt and regret all the time and bitterness. That's the way you're gonna live until you understand that no, God is love. In fact, God loves you so much he sent his son. Guys, you can take my house. I don't care. You can take my car. I don't care. But my children, that's the most precious thing to me. And God loves you so much that he said, I'm gonna send my own sons and I don't have to spend eternity without you. Jesus loves, <laughs> Jesus knows your name. What did he say? Mary. Mary. He knew Peter and John, Lazarus, come out. He knows your name. This morning, can you hear that still small voice? That's God calling your name. That's how much he knows you. He loves you. And he has a plan for you. Hey, we love because Jesus loves. Have you ever thought about this? Why is there even love in the world? I mean, if we got sinful people and we're all competitive, we're all selfish, you know, like, yeah. why is there even love? It's because God is love. It's because Jesus comes in. Again, the world tries to sell us a cheap imitation. Instead of love, the world tries to sell us lust. We all know that, right? And lust is, I must have it now. Lust is, what can you do for me? How can you make me feel? But love is, what can I do for you? What can I do for you? You see how radical that is when Jesus comes into your heart and brings love? See how radical that is when you bring Jesus into your marriage? And you start to love your spouse and say, hey, what can I do for you? How can I love you? Then you start to have this godly marriage and this godly home. How can I serve you? How can I care about you? How about my kids? What about people at work? What if I start bringing love into those kind of places? Because your life matters. Hey, Jesus being alive means that we can have abundant life. Means that we can have abundant life. Check out this verse, John 10, 10. The thief comes only to still kill and destroy. We have an enemy. We have an enemy, Satan, who hates God. He knows he can't get to God, so he goes after God's children, right? And he comes to steal our joy. He comes to kill our relationships. He comes to destroy our lives. But Jesus said, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Jesus goes, I want you to have a great life. I want you to experience joy and peace. I want you to have that kind of life. You know, think about Jesus' disciples. When, when Jesus was in the tomb, they were scared and they were scattered because they thought Jesus was dead. They'd left everything to follow Jesus. And now they're thinking, going back to Galilee, going back to my fishing business, going, you know, I, it's all lost. <laughs> but when Jesus came alive, Hey, when Jesus came alive, they were filled with power and faith. I mean, these guys became bold. 
right? I mean, the resurrection. These guys, all of a sudden, they, they launch the early church, and the Holy Spirit comes, and Peter stands up at Pentecost and preaches on the temple steps. He's not worried about the Romans arresting him and nailing him to a cross. He doesn't care. He's like, I want you to know Jesus and the power of Christ. And the early church, man, just begins to change the entire Roman Empire. The power of God, because Jesus is alive. So where's your focus? See, we don't live with that kind of power because our focus is on other things. It's on the things of this world. It's on the cheap imitations so often. You know, Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And it's so true, right? Somebody tells you about, hey, I want to give you a stock tip. I don't, you ought to buy into this company. You've never heard about this company before. But then all of a sudden, you're like, oh, wow. Now you start to research this company. You buy a little share of that company. And now you're like, oh, when it's up, you're so excited. And then when it's down, you're like depressed. You know why? Because your treasure's there. Or your sports team, man, you're so excited, you follow your team, and when they win, you're like, yeah, when, they're, when they lose, you're like, oh, man, and nobody wants to be around you because you're so mad and you're angry. Why? Because you're just up, because that's your focus, right? And let's find out sports and, hey, play games, it's great, but, but put our focus on Christ. <laughs> He's the one who loves us. He's the one who has a plan for us. He is the one who brings joy. When Christ comes into your life, God places his Holy Spirit within you, and the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. Isn't that what you want in life? <laughs> That's what I want. Isn't that what you want in your home? Isn't that what you want with your family? Isn't that what you want at work? But where's your focus? That's why God said, remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. You know, come to church every seven days. You put your focus on me. You know, spend time with me each day. Be in Bible study. Focus on me. Hey, listen, being alive, Jesus being alive means that this life is not the end. This life is not the end. Look at John chapter 11, verse 25. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? He said it to Martha, right? Right before he raised Lazarus from the dead. Do you believe this? Hey, this life is not the end. When you're in Christ, we pass from life to life. Why? Because Jesus conquered death. Now think about that for a moment. If Jesus can conquer death, then there is nothing in your life that he cannot conquer. I don't know what you walked into with today. I don't know what worries or fears or struggles you're facing, but I want you to know this. Jesus can handle it. Jesus conquered death. And with Jesus, death is never the end of the story. It's not. You know, um, my dad went home to be with Jesus uh, four years ago. Still miss him. But what I love about Easter is I know I'm going to see him again. What I love about this time is it just reminds me I'm going to be with him for eternity and all of his friends and the people who've gone on before me. And guys, we get eternity together. This, this life is not all that there is because Jesus conquered it. If Jesus would have just died on the cross, we would have been forgiven. But we still would have died, right? But now he conquered death. He made a way for us to have life eternal. This is life. This life is not all that there is. And we can spend a lot of time investing in the things of this world, but we're only here 70, 80, 90, 100 years. And then there is eternity. 
eternity, okay? It's a lot longer than this little vapor we live in. So are we investing in the things of this world or are we investing in the things that are gonna last because this life is not all that there is? And listen to this one. Jesus being alive means that miracles still happen. <laughs> miracles still happen. Look at Romans chapter eight. Romans chapter eight, and if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. What's that saying? The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead is alive today, alive today. And if God can raise a dead Jesus, he can raise a dead you. He can raise a dead you. He can raise a dead dream. He can raise a dead career. He can raise a dead marriage. There is power available because God is here and Jesus is alive. If you are in Christ, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is in you. Think about that. And yet we live life so sheepishly, right? We, we live life scared when we should be bold. Jesus is alive and my life is forever changed. My life is forever changed. I want you to hear the story of a guy. He, he started coming to church about nine months ago. And uh, I just want you to hear what God has been doing in his life and his family. Watch this. My name's Corey Lipke. I grew up in a small little town in Ohio called Maria Stein. My wife's Haley. And then we had a little two-year-old, Jax. Life growing up was fun. I think uh, I had a, a fun childhood. We were uh, we were busy. Our parents kept us busy with school and school and sports and work, kind of in that order. <laughs> we were all Roman Catholics. Um, you know, good God-fearing people. I think we kind of went on Sundays and checked it off the list, and then kind of went back to the rest of the week. I think we were good rule followers, but I don't know how deep our relationship ever felt with you know with God. My career side started, I guess, in high school. My dad was a basketball coach, and I loved basketball and, and football, and baseball was always kind of my the thing I played because it was the spring, and that's what everybody else was doing, but I always enjoyed it. You know, even the end of my high school and through all through college, um, I, you know, school was always a priority, but baseball was about the other 99%. <laughs> it was hard for me to turn that off, I guess. And then when you go into the minor leagues, kind of the same thing. You're playing almost 200 games a year now, and it was um, it was hard for me to you know, wake up and not think about it, go to sleep and not think about it. I felt like I had control. I felt like, you know, I can do this. Like, I, I, I can learn these pitches. I can get to the next level. And, I just didn't depend on anybody but myself to figure things out. And um, I think the majority of my career, I kind of felt the same way. You know, I thought my whole life, this is what I was waiting for. You know, like I'm, finally baseball was over. You know, we had some time where we didn't have to work and I got to travel, see friends and, you know, do everything I haven't been able to do my whole life, but there was just something still wrong. I have a great wife that I, I feel like I don't deserve, and I got a, you know, a great, healthy two-year-old, and something's still missing, like something's not there, something's wrong. Earlier this summer, we had uh, a family friend of ours we lost. He was our football coach, and 
had three kids and just had um, got a brain cancer and you know it took him really quick and I just remember thinking oh, I met God unexpectedly right now I don't like what I'd have to tell him as far as what I've done with my life to um, kind of further his kingdom you know, being a good person and having a good career isn't isn't enough and I know it's not enough it wasn't until I started you know being more active with the church and starting to you know read the Bible every morning and uh, you know next thing you know I joined the Bible study and we we're in a community group now and uh, God has just keep putting people into our lives that have just made a you know unbelievable difference with, with me and my wife. I grew up being Catholic where I was you know baptized as an infant. You know, I'm, I'm glad I was, but it's. For me, this is kind of my my choice, my the time that that I want to do it. I feel like I'm ready to start making him a, a part of you know every aspect of my life. Kind of surrendered, I think, might be the right word. I've just never felt like through my career I wanted to ever feel weak. And I think when you think of surrender, I just felt like you know felt weak. But I think for me, just surrendering to God, surrendering to Jesus is. Um, my way of just turning it over, you know, kind of giving up the steering wheel. Getting baptized to me means I know what's important in my life now. And, you know, it's God, it's Jesus, and uh, I want them to start being number one, um, my number one priority. I feel silly it took that this long to get to this point. You know, I'm uh, 34 now, but, uh, you know, I know I know it's better late than never, and um, I think he has a, a plan for me and Haley, and I think, um, you know, the more the more we live in it, the more we uh, you know keep grinding at Scripture, and I think it, with the people He keeps bringing into our lives, whether it's our you know our community group, our Bible study, and even people at Rolling Hills, it's feeling like He's setting us up to do something and to further His kingdom, and uh, I think that's got us excited. Isn't that awesome? I've had this love seeing life change, and I love watching God work in Corey's life and. At our first Easter service, Corey was baptized uh, this year, and, um, and man, just seeing him go and die to his old way of life, going under the water and being raised to walk a new life. His wife, Haley, is expecting their second child tomorrow, and so I'm just thinking about the impact on his life and on their marriage and on their family and on generations. Guys, God still does miracles. He still moves in a mighty way. He still works in our hearts and in our lives. God is alive and active. Jesus isn't just some statue. Jesus is here. And he is moving in this place. And miracles still happen today. There's a lady in our church, and she came a few months ago and asked me to pray for her grandfather. She said her grandfather wasn't a Christ follower. And she said, you know, would you, would you pray? And, and then she sent me an email to tell me what was happening, what was going on. And this was from March 11th. And she said, over the last few weeks, my grandfather, we call him Old Papa, has been feeling unwell, and I shared with Will, our six-year-old, and Benjamin, my four-year-old, that Old Papa, 94 years old, was sick. I also mentioned that Old Papa does not have Jesus living in his heart. I must admit, I wondered how God would open the heart of an intellectual old man. He'd never been accepting of the good news of Jesus before. Once Catholic, Old Papa had recently mentioned he might even be Buddhist, but wasn't sure. So I labeled him agnostic and started to pray for him. About two weeks ago, old Papa collapsed at home and was taken to the hospital. I feared that my window to talk to him about Jesus was closing. 
And then on Saturday, March 9th, my 100-year-old grandmother was also transported to the hospital. My mom and her siblings were feeling crushed with the weight of caring for parents. But Jesus. (laughs) I love how she writes that. But Jesus. After my grandmother was settled in the hospital, my mom and dad went to visit old Papa, who had recently been transferred to a rehab facility. It was a nice day as they took old Papa outside to enjoy the sunshine. And mom texted and asked if we could FaceTime. FaceTime was a miracle in itself to old Papa. (laughs) He couldn't believe he could see us and the two boys playing with their train set. Will, my six-year-old, must have been listening to our conversation because he walked right up to the phone and clearly asked, old Papa, is Jesus living in your heart? (laughs) And Papa said he wasn't sure, but he hoped so. He also told Will, you're a religious little boy. (laughs) I knew this was my opportunity to talk to him about Jesus and salvation. So simple and straight to the point, I told him that Jesus created him, loves him, and wants to spend eternity with him in heaven. If you need his help, just call his name and he hears you. He will help you. Old Papa asked, how do I call on his name? Do I just say, help me? And I told him, yes. Say, Jesus, I love you. Thank you for dying for me. Please forgive my sins. I want to spend eternity with you. And talking through this with me, old Papa repeated those words with questions in his voice, but a willing heart. He spoke the words aloud with me twice. He then said, that's a miracle. (laughs) That may have shocked me the most. He understood how simple and profound it was. He told me that yesterday, meaning for years, he would have never been accepting of this. But now he knows. He knows He said he couldn't believe that we were talking about something today that happened 2,000 years ago. I told him that we have all eternity to get to know Jesus. And one day I would be there with him too. Our whole family would be together. We could spend eternity, get to know each other, and our time on earth was not long enough. Will, my six-year-old, Benjamin, my four-year-old, were right there with me the whole time. My parents were too. We all witnessed this man speak for the first time the name of Jesus. Not only did he call Jesus' name, he asked him for help to forgive him of his sins and to live in his heart. And through prayer and the work of the Holy Spirit, our prayers were answered yesterday. That was March 11th. 19 days later, March 30th, old Papa closed his eyes on this earth and he woke up to see the face of Jesus. He woke up into the arms of Jesus because there was a granddaughter who started praying. There was a six-year-old that said, hey, old Papa, I want to be in heaven with you. Where are you today? Will you accept Christ today? Would you make him the Lord of your life? Would you surrender your heart? Doesn't matter if you're 34 like Corey or 94 like old Papa. Yesterday at our Easter service, a 76-year-old man came down right after the service. He said, you know, I thought, I thought God, you know, was, was working in my life, but I wasn't sure. And I drove a thousand miles to be with my family. But it wasn't for my family. It was to meet God. And I met God right here. I gave my life to Christ. And he said, in a few weeks, I'm going to drive a thousand miles back so you can baptize me. I want to be baptized. Man, his whole family just beaming because God is still rolling stones. God's still changing lives. He's still transforming us. Guys, I was eight years old when I gave my life to Christ. Never regret it for a moment. Every year it gets sweeter. What about you? What about today? Make this the day that Jesus comes alive in your heart, alive in your marriage, alive in your family. Let Jesus change you. 
inside your worship guide, there's a communication card. And I want to ask everybody to pull one out. This is an all skate, guys. If you just pull it out and take off that connection card right now. There's four questions on the back that I'm going to ask you to mark one of these boxes. This is for everybody. You know, what's interesting is um, we'll go to a doctor and we'll get a physical checkup to see where we are physically, how our cholesterol is. You know, we'll go to a financial advisor to see where we are financially. But what about spiritually? When was the last time you really looked at your heart and said, hey, where am I with God? What's going on? Because this lasts a lot longer than this life, right? This lasts a lot longer than your bank account. This is eternity, guys. So where are you today? Would you mark one of these four? Maybe A, today, today I accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I accept that he paid the price for my sins. I accept that I'm forgiven. A, I want to accept, like Corey, like old Papa. Hey, it doesn't matter how old you are, maybe today is the day you come alive. Or B, B maybe for you it's B, baptize. God, I want to be baptized. You know, I, I want to take that step of obedience. Maybe you were baptized as an infant. Praise God. But, but be honest, that was your parents' decision. That wasn't yours. What about your decision? What about your commitment? Or maybe C. Maybe C, just go, you know what? I'm committed. I'm committed to live as a disciple. I'm committing today for the rest of my life. I want it to be the best of my life. I want to live for the things of God. I don't want to just get caught up in this world, this cheap imitation. I want to live for things that matter. See, I'm committed. Or maybe it's D. I don't know. I got some questions. But hey, I want to talk with somebody. I want to talk with a pastor. I want to talk with a counselor. I want to talk with somebody. I don't want to leave this unsettled. This is way too important. I don't know where you are today, but I just want to encourage you. Mark one of these, you know, fill out the front. And in just a moment, our ushers will come by. We can drop this in the offering basket. But guys, God is here. Jesus is alive. He is in this moment and in this place. Praise be to God. And our lives don't have to be the same. He can come alive in us. So I want to invite our ushers to come forward. And this is a chance for us to give back.